Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. This is the first Sunday of Toba, and the t- today's Gospel relates to the flight into Egypt of the Holy Family, St. Joseph, St. Mary, and of course our Lord Jesus Christ as a young child. So we are reading this because we have just celebrated the birth of our Savior and uh, the Holy Feast of Nativity. <coughs> And soon after his birth, when he was a little child, he immediately confronted, was confronted with a life-threatening uh, event. Herod, um, in his insecurity and in his insanity and anger, when hearing that there was another king that was born according to prophecies, and that he saw the three wise men coming to worship him, um, was enraged, right? And, and he became so jealous and fearful for his power that he issues the unthinkable command to his soldiers to kill any male child two years and under in the city of Bethlehem. And so he murdered uh, those children in what was to become known as the slaughter of the innocents. So when you read the writings of Josephus, who was a, um, a Jewish historian uh, during the time, um, he writes about Herod and the nature of who Herod was. He murdered a lot of people. He, was, uh, he killed groups and groups of people at once. Uh, probably much more than the children he killed here during this event. So the murder of the male children that we would think is like unmanageable or like you can't even imagine something like that. When you really know about the type of Hitler-like person that Herod was, um, you, you start to see what kind of shadowy person Herod really was and that he was indeed capable of such an evil thing. But beforehand, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and informed him of the danger and the plot against the, chil- against the child and ordered him to take, through a dream, to take Mary and to flee into Egypt. And while, while um, the New Testament is really silent on what happens in Egypt when he gets there, um, but tradition, we, and we, we know that this isn't really a surprise because in the Gospel of St. John it says, and there are many also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. But the adventures and the stories and the places that the Holy Family visited and encountered during their approximately two to five year stay in Egypt, um, we know through tradition and uh, is also included in a writing called The Vision of Theophilus. And so you could download this uh, reading or buy the book and, and you can know exactly what uh, occurred when they were in Egypt. And if you visit Egypt today, of course, you can see many of the places they stayed. They've built monasteries and churches. Uh, there's a lot of holy sites where the family stayed uh, during those visits. We don't have much time to really go into uh, in depth on that that journey that they took throughout Egypt before they went back to Israel, but um, uh, maybe one day we can plan a trip there and, and see all this uh, firsthand. That'd be wonderful. But the few verses in the Gospel of Matthew that we read today about this event uh, are full of benefits for us. Firstly, we see the amazing faithfulness and obedience of Saint Joseph. When one considers what really happened here, you really stand in awe about the uh, what kind of person St. Joseph was. When one considers his actions, we are, we're kind of humbled by it. We, he receives a vision at night, so he receives a dream telling him of the evil plan of King Herod. He isn't angry, he doesn't argue, you know, he doesn't um, fight back, and he doesn't say, like, wasn't this child supposed to be the one to save all of his people, and he can't even save himself? Now we have to go into a strange country full of paganism that's not going to be friendly for us and we're going to have to walk there. And we don't even know how long because the angel said, just stay there until I tell you to come out. So it was kind of open-ended. He doesn't say any of these things, but instead obeys with faith. 
In fact, we say that he rises early in the morning. So, uh, I'm sorry, he rises at night and takes St. Mary and the child and flees to Egypt. So he wakes up in the middle of the night, packs up and leaves right away and starts walking towards uh, Egypt. This offers, of course, um, uh, a great example of faith and obedience to the divine commandments. Uh, we're all faced with divine commandments um, that we know that we should be following. Uh, here's an example of someone who really followed him without hesitation, even under extreme situations when he could have complained and made it difficult. Oftentimes, God asks us to do the things that are difficult or inconvenient. We complain, we blame God maybe, uh, maybe we become jealous of others who are not uh, called to that same command. We think it's unfair. And, and so we kind of drag our feet in obeying the, the, uh, the command. It vexes us, it bothers us so much that, uh, that complaining and dragging our feet causes more trouble for us and greater uh, issues than actually if we just would have just followed the commandment from the first place so, and do what God was asking of us. The second thing we learn from this is that spiritual warfare exists in service. So whenever you put your hand on the plow to do something that is spiritually beneficial, you will immediately suffer some sort of challenge or obstacle or trial. We should expect these kind of challenges from the very beginning. St. Mary, who just had the glorious birth right, um, of Christ, then is commanded to leave her country and she hardly left her house in the first place, right? She stayed either in the temple or in her house. Now she's asked to hop on a mule and to travel to a foreign land that is full of paganism, right? It's not friendly towards uh, Judaism or Christianity later, as we know. Uh, but it, they ended up leaving and they went there, right? By night, with a little child on foot and on mule back. So if we are counted worthy of any kind of service or we are called to any kind of spiritual work, we shouldn't lose heart because of the challenges that we may face along the way. In fact, we know that they're coming and we should continue to serve and work through those and work through those issues as they arise. Some even refuse to serve because of the fact that they may encounter some potential challenges or some potential politics or some potential issue or maybe the service itself is too difficult. Those should never stop us. We should, if God has revealed to us that that service is needed, that's immediately our call to start and do what we can, even the little bit is accepted before God. And that's a very important spiritual rule that we should all remember and that we should all be aware of, that when we begin to serve, we will be faced with temptations and obstacles and challenges. They, will, they are awaiting us. But we have our victorious Lord who will help us through anything. Number three... We know that life in general, not even just the service, but life in general for a Christian are full of hardships and refreshment. Hardships and refreshment, right? We, even looking back at your life, you have great times and then you have difficult times. And that's just the nature of life generally. With Joseph, for example, he was troubled at the conception of St. Mary. How am I going to take a pregnant lady into my house who was already pregnant? He was worried about like how that was going to be viewed by the society. But right away... That changes with um, with an angel appearing to him and and, and kind of confirming uh, his faith in him, in God. Then the king in his madness was seeking the child as we read about today. And there was um, no room, of course, for the, uh, the baby to be born. Uh, he was traveling without uh, any kind of room for like in the hotels that were there at the time. And so they, they had to be born in a manger. But when he was born in the manger... 
St. Joseph then sees the star. He sees the three magi coming to, uh, later on, coming to worship him. He sees the shepherd, and he sees uh, what they've said, and hears what they've said uh, about the angels who said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. So again, he was raised, raised up again in this event. After this, again, danger comes. St. Joseph is informed that the king now wants to kill the child. So again, you know, it's back down again, right? And he goes to, he has to go to a foreign land. It's continually up and down in our spiritual life. That's just the nature of things. The Christian life is not full of continual worldly peace and security. We know this from uh, our history. We know this that uh, even in our own uh, life, we may think of examples. And this is especially true for the saints. Think of a saint that you know. Which saint did not suffer any kind of tribulations? whether they're uh, the saints among us in the church that are going through problems or the saints that we read about, these saints are always struggling, right? That's, that's what we know. We know that the Christian lifestyle has its challenges and has its blessings at the same time. Um, <clears throat> we all, but we also know during those difficult times that there's joy that comes after all this. <clears throat> the tribulations that we bear nobly with faith uh, comes, even in this life, comes with joy. And we know in Second Timothy chapter 3 it says yes all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution you will suffer some level of persecution it may not be bloodshed but it may be maybe that your friends at work or at school they're kind of casting you out or maybe in our own personal life we're seeing demonic warfares that the devil's very jealous and not happy uh, that we're actually making strides toward God he gets very jealous so we should courageously with strength and with uh, arming ourselves with the cross and with faith, uh, go through any of those problems. But those ups and downs are part of our life. Uh, St. John Chrysostom has a really nice quote. He says that neither the dangers nor refreshments are continual, but that God weaves the life of all the righteous people out of both the dangers and the refreshment, the one and the other. So he uses both to weave our life together. So later on, at the end of our life, we're going to see the weaved life that God has weaved for us, and it'll be full of threads that, are, that were dangerous and full of threads that were refreshing for us as well. That's, that's how our life will be weaved together at the end. So no more true than in the life of St. Athanasius. If you, if, has anyone ever heard of St. Athanasius? Of course, right? And so St. Athanasius, um, he suffered five exile during his 40 years of uh, being a pope, uh, 20 of those, uh, over 40 years, and 20 of those were in exile. And he was exiled five times, up and down, right? And each time he was exiled, he was, ret he was returning to his church with joy, and then another emperor gets power, and then he exiles him. He goes, can you imagine that? Five times, and him never losing hope. Nothing, no temporary failure, no obstacle ever caused him to lose hope, but he always worked through it. One of these exiles, even the people around him kind of despaired, and they said, oh no, not again. This one might be the end of your life. You know, if the soldiers catch you, they're going to kill you. And he turns around to them and says, um, be of good heart. It, it is only a cloud and will soon pass away. And we know that again, he was returned to, uh, from exile. He was a, a man full of uh, strength. I'll tell you one interesting story. One time the soldiers during one of these exiles were chasing him. And they were in a boat, and they were chasing him with another boat behind him. So he orders the boat to turn around and so that both boats are kind of side by side. And he leans over the boat to the amazement of those on the boat with him. 
uh, to the soldiers on the other boat and says, who are you looking for? And they said, Athanasius. And he says, you're not far from him. And they said, thank you. And they kept going. And he went the other way, right? I mean, full of courage and endurance. No temporary failure or obstacle ever, ever hurt him. He was a very brave example for us. I really encourage you to read the life of St. Athanasius. It, I would say it's going to be a movie one day. You'll remember. You heard it here first. So we should uh, be able to bear the joys with thankfulness and anticipation of trials. We know that they're coming. And bear the trials of our life with faith and anticipation of the joys that will be coming later. Because each of these two scenarios is temporary. In life, when um, both joy and troubles, they're both temporary. Uh, but only in the life to come, the joys are eternal. That one, is, it doesn't become temporary anymore. It's fullness and in its fullest sense, we, we experience that joy. So that kind of joy that uh, we can start to experience now, even during the trials that we face, we have those joys that we have with Christ. Um, so that both scenarios exist, right? When we're, um, when we're going through difficult times, we should remember uh, with faith that joy is coming. And when we have joyous times, we should be thankful, but also remember that it's not going to last forever, right? There will be times when we're going down these lumps. And so always look ahead to what's coming uh, so that you're prepared for anything that um, life has to throw at you. And the fourth beneficial thing to note is the fulfillment of prophecy in this little event. St. Matthew says that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of by the Lord through the prophet saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. There's another prophecy as well. In Isaiah chapter 19, which speaks about the Lord coming into Egypt, it says, Behold, the Lord rides on a swift cloud and will come into Egypt. The idols of Egypt will totter at his presence, and the heart of Egypt will melt in its midst. Later it says in the same chapter, In that day there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt, and a pillar to the Lord at its border. It's a blessing because of all the churches in the world, the, the Coptic church in Egypt is the only one that has a specific prophecy. There's general prophecies about the church that would come later, but this one is the only prophecy in the Old Testament about a specific region in the time of uh, Christianity. So we're really blessed to have that. Uh, when, when did the idols totter, though, according to this prophecy? When did the idols of Egypt actually fall and, and, and disappear from the land? It was, of course, when Christianity came to the land. Before that, many prophets and righteous men uh, dwelt in Egypt. Abraham, Joseph, the patriarchs, the whole people of Israel dwelt in Egypt for 400 years. Moses and Aaron were born in Egypt. Jeremiah was exiled there, where, by the way, he met Plato, the Greek philosopher, by the way. Um, but idolatry continued nevertheless until it was displaced in Egypt by Christianity. Before, they hated God. They worshipped cats and alligators and the sun and all that. Afterwards, they loved God and worshipped only Him. Not only was it displaced, but in, uh, if we speak about the church in its early history, in Christianity, um, it became a beacon for Christianity to the whole world. It was the center of Christian education where the School of Alexandria was formed. Um, so people would come to this school and then go to France or go to the rest of Europe or Asia Minor or Africa, and they would um, spread Christianity that way. So they'd come in the school of Alexandria, which was one of the first, if not the first, place where they systematically studied Scripture. It was there also that the martyrs gave a powerful witness to the whole world. Hundreds of thousands were martyred during uh, this time, especially in this land. 
And we know that due to this uh, powerful witness, that Christianity arose uh, much more powerful and became the main religion of the empire only a couple years after that. Um, it was there that Coptic monasticism began and spread all across the world. So when you hear about monasteries and monks, it all started in the deserts in Egypt with the, with the church there. It was there that, um, that the leadership in the first three, three ecumenical councils occurred. It was there that many Christian doctrine that all Christians believe in today, universally believed among all the churches, were first articulated with fathers like St. Athanasius, who we mentioned, St. Cyril, uh, and many others, like a region, and, and many others as well. The diocese, uh, the Coptic diocese in London, has a nice summary of some of the examples of the early witnesses of Christianity outside of Egypt. Uh, it's really interesting. I'll, I'll mention a few of them. You may not, may or may not know of this. Like for example, in Europe, Saint Athanasius founded the church in B Belgia during one of his exiles. So I mentioned he was exiled five times. He actually founded a church there uh, when he was there. In Switzerland, the Thebian Legion. Uh, which was a legion uh, of soldiers that were martyred, uh, led by St. Maurice, were martyred when they refused to sacrifice to the gods. Hence, uh, the, some of the um, cities there uh, are named after St. Maurice. Felix and his sister and their friends spread the gospel in um, a city called Zurich in Switzerland. And till now, if you look at the seal of Zurich, it has two individuals. Those two are Coptic saints called Felix and, and his sister. Uh, they still bear the, the uh, picture of these uh, evangelists. St. John Cassian dwelt in the monasteries in Egypt and then went to France to preach. St. Gregory the Wonder Worker learned in the school of Alexandria under a region and then went to Asia Minor and converted that whole area. That area is about the size of Texas. And he converted that whole area. Um, in Ireland, seven Coptic monks were among the pioneers of the faith in that location and left many traces uh, in the life and art of the people. Three manuscripts, according to this, uh, the Diocese of London, three manuscripts uh, in the Royal Academy of Dublin, they confirmed this, that, that seven monks went there and established the faith. So Coptic Orthodox Christians, fast forward to our time now, Coptic Orthodox Christians immigrated to the United States in, the, uh, say, the late 60s or so, under Pope Carolos. One can simply say that the reason for their immigration was to seek a better material life because obviously uh, America is uh, wealthy and it, and it has much more opportunity from the material side of things. Or you could say that the Egyptians uh, fled uh, maybe religious uh, persecution, that the Christians left Egypt because of the religious persecutions and, and America offers those kind of things. But there's another thing that we can think about as well that um, one can see a more majestic reason that, that providence and God is working, that we are responsible for being witnesses in all of these lands. So it's amazing that in 50 years, the Copts have gone all over the world now. They're in every continent. And especially in our diocese here, it's pretty large as well. St. Gregory the Theologian uh, says something really interesting that I want you to consider. He says that he hears now, St. Gregory the Theologian, of course, was a contemporary of St. Basil, uh, the patron of this church. And um, he was not a Coptic or Egyptian saint. He was a saint outside of Egypt. And, but he says, I hear myself saying now out of Egypt I have called my son, for from the church of Alexandria has sounded forth the word to all men, who is not only a lover of the food, but also a distributor, not at home only, but also abroad. So the thing to consider is when Christ, uh, when it's said of Christ that out of Egypt I have called my son, is it just 
him or is it also us as well that we have come now from the from a place that was not friendly towards Christianity to a place that we can spread the gospel freely is that does that apply to us right and we can think about that and the prophecy of course wasn't just to Egypt right it was about that the gospel was going to spread through the whole world and we see this happening and there were many prophecies to that effect um, we saw a glimpse of what was to uh, come when we saw the three wise men who were from another country come and worship God. It was the, a glimpse of what we would see later when the Gentiles would come back to God. First with the wise men from the east who would return and speak of what they saw. Of course, they went back and talked about it. Now with Christ going to Egypt, we see that as well, that now he's starting to spread the good news among the Gentiles. The works of Christ after the Incarnation resulted in an, like something that's never happened before, an unprecedented conversion among the pagans and the idol worshippers, right? Complex uh, ide ideological and philosophical beliefs of the uh, old world, right, that were there for thousands of years before Christ. Everybody abandoned it in a, in a span of only a few hundred years, a couple hundred years or so, and Christianity became the main religion by the time Emperor Constantine uh, took took office. So here in this church today, we have people, of course, from Egypt, but we also have people from who have ancestry from Asia, from Africa, from Europe. All of our ancestors, who are our relatives, when you really want to drive it home, these ancestors of ours are our, our relatives, only separated by time. They abandon all of these complex pagan religions and converted to Christianity, often at the risk of their own lives. Our relatives, right? They converted at the risk of their own lives. Because in Jeremiah chapter 16 it says, O Lord, my strength and my fortress, my refuge in the day of affliction, the Gentiles shall come to you from the ends of the earth and say, Surely our fathers have inherited lies, worthlessness, and unprofitable things. Will a man make gods for himself which are not gods? Therefore, behold, I will this once cause them to know, I will cause them to know my, my hand and my might and they shall know that my name is the Lord. So God grant us the grace to have faith and obedience like St. Joseph and to have the courage of our ancestors who gave everything to become Christian and to follow Christianity and to be made worthy of the name which with, with which we are called in Christ Jesus our Lord to whom be glory forever. Amen.